When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Drags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome back an old friend, somebody actually I haven't talked to in a long time. This is going to be great to talk Red Sox with him, the one and only John Tomasi, doing a spectacular job, as he always does, covering the Red Sox and everything baseball for NBC Sports Boston, and uh, it's great to have you back. I appreciate you joining me, uh, John. You can follow John, of course, uh, on Twitter at jtomasi, all one word. How you been, bud? I've been great. It's been too long, Trags. It has been. Obviously, I've been transplanted out to the Midwest uh, and Cincinnati, and the Reds are playing red-hot baseball. They are making a charge, actually, in the second wild-card spot. Funny I bring that up because uh, about a month ago, I would never have guessed this, but the Red Sox are now tied for the second spot, second wild-card spot with the Oakland A's at 70-55. and The Yankees have blown right past them for the number one wild card spot. And I don't think anybody really, uh, I don't think the way the Red Sox are playing, John, they're going to catch Tampa, right? Uh, Yeah, I think we got to, you know, focus on the more immediate, uh, you know, targets because the Rays are pulling away. And, you know, frankly, the Red Sox haven't played well enough to be in that conversation. It'd be one thing, you know, if it's been a little bit of bad luck, but it's like they've been playing bad baseball for really since early July at this point. So we're going on a month and a half and I've been beating the drum. I may be going down with the ship on this one tracks that this is a better team than how they've played. They can still make a run. I'm starting to have my doubts. I mean, the the stretch they're in right now is going to determine the season to me because it's terrible teams, right? Really? You need to win. uh, You need to win the series finale against Texas, the whole thing. So uh, yeah, I'm, I didn't see this coming uh, to this extreme for sure. So I, I wouldn't say that I saw it coming, but I've said all along, John, the thing that concerned me with this team is they reminded me of the 78 Red Sox and to a lesser extent, the 2011 Red Sox, that they were playing the best baseball, arguably in baseball for the better part of three months. And then they hit a wall. Um, you know, obviously the 78 Red Sox kind of collapsed in August, kind of like this team is doing. Uh, and the 2011 Red Sox completely, the bottom fell out in September. We all remember that. We were all around for that. Um, but this team, to me, uh, had was too dependent on its lineup. And I think its lineup did very well. Believe it or not, and I know it's... It, It's people have criticized the depth of the lineup, but when you take a look at the top four batters in the order or the top four hitters uh, in the lineup, I think they carried the team for the better part of the three month period I was talking about. Oh yeah, no question. And really like the irony of where they are now. So there's lots of people who have argued they were never that good. This is what they are. You know, Dan Shaughnessy has been beating that drum. And he would say this is not 2011 or 78 because those teams were powerhouse teams that completely folded. This is a team that was playing so far beyond the sum of its parts that it was inevitable that something like this would happen. 
I can't really go there, but I will say the irony of all this is we all expected coming into the year, the offense would be good. The pitching would be shaky. The starting pitching in particular, the starting pitching by and large has been fine. There was a little stretch there before sale and how could added to the rotation where they were uh, iffy, but otherwise they've given you everything you needed. They are where they are right now because of their offense. And that was supposed to be the one part of the team that no matter what happened, well, at least we know they're going to hit. Like, right. that's why I thought they would be a better than 500 team this year, is that they will hit. And recently, that's just been their complete undoing. They, you know, Alex Verdugo is not the hitter that he was in April. J.D. Martinez isn't the hitter that he was in April. Xander Bogarts, it's all the guys that you talked about who carried them. Right. They're not doing it now. Rafael Devers with runners in scoring position has been abysmal for the last month. So it's like, this is what's it put them in this predicament. Well, do you think at the All-Star break or excuse me, at the trading deadline, they should have gone out and gotten another picture, starting picture, uh, to go along with the return of Chris Sale. Because, John, you you and me both know that uh, they sold the Red Sox fandom, the whole idea that when you get Chris Sale back, you're like making a trade for a number one starter. And I think that was expecting a bit too much. So look, I think Sale's been very good coming off um, the IL and coming back from Tommy John. He's 2-0. and He's won his two starts. He's looked pretty good. Correct me if I'm wrong uh, in your yeah. eyes. But I, I think he's looked certainly very good. But I think they needed another starter in that rotation to give them depth innings and give them the ability to win four out of every five games. I don't think they have that now, even with sale back. Yeah. So I was less, uh, I, I could certainly make a case for going out and getting a starter with Tanner Houck and sale. I say, you've kind of created that depth now because Garrett Richards and Martin Perez are in the pen. I know those guys hadn't pitched very effectively, which is why they're in the pen. But my thing was get a first baseman. I mean, the trickle-down effect of not getting a first baseman, what it has meant to this roster. So you go out and you get Kyle Schwarber. He can't play the field at all, as it turns no. out, because of his hamstring. But he can at least DH. But DHing requires J.D. Martinez in the outfield. We've seen a number of misplays, either throwing to the wrong base, not making, you know, uh, converting catchable outs. Uh, so that gets – they do have Bobby Dahlbeck at first, who is a subpar first baseman. We saw that you know, most glaringly in the finale against the Yankees when he yes. hits the ball by Anthony Rizzo, the guy that maybe the Red Sox should have gotten. So it's like your first base defense is worse. Your outfield defense is worse. Kike, you brought up Jaron Duran, who is not as strong a defender as Kike Hernandez in center. You move Kike Hernandez to second, where it turns out he's not as good a defender as he is in center. So it's like there have been so many trickle-down effects that have impacted the roster that, to me, all go back to not filling the most it's got to be the easiest position to go get at the trade deadline just go get a league average first baseman they didn't do that that is the move to me more than anything else that they're paying they're going to regret and they're paying the price for right now so and i brought this up a couple of weeks ago uh on this very podcast and it was my point was if they wanted anthony rizzo don't mess around go out find out what the cubs really wanted from you and uh, certainly they were going to ask for one or two of your top prospects, but you had to make a decision at that point. And my, my sense was once they asked for the top prospect and they, and they felt like it wasn't going to get done, they gave up on the deal. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, Heim Bloom has made it clear that the he's not giving up him, prospects. He's not giving up prospects. Top. And I think that was 
considering where his team was and how much it had overachieved and what it had done to get to that point at the trade deadline where they were going on fumes. They needed reinforcements. They expected reinforcements. I mean, go back and read the coverage, July 27th, 28th, 29th. You have Nathan Avaldi being like, oh, yeah, we know what the holes on our roster are and you know we know what we need to fill them and then you have bogarts you know saying we're, we're looking for help and you have matt barnes being like i would love to set up for craig kimbrell like they all needed help they knew it they expected it they were waiting for it and while i understand and i appreciate bloom's long-term vision because i think ultimately that's how you build the year in and year out contender i think it he misread his own clubhouse to say that, you know what, I'm going to prioritize keeping all of my prospects and I'm not really going to give this team any help right now. And at some point that can't be an excuse anymore that, oh, they got nothing at the trade deadline and it deflated them and whatever. Like you've got, if you're a mentally tough team, you have to overcome that and they haven't. But in that moment, I think it was a huge misstep. And I bet it's something that he learns from going forward. Speaking with John Tomasi, covering the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball for NBC Sports Boston. Hey, sports fans, bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season, of course, in full swing. The pennant race is shaping up. You can track all of the action at bet online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds. It is the best way to place your bets, and best of all, it's free to sign up. Before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or your mobile device and take advantage of the 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on all the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Back with John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston, covering the Red Sox and MLB. Showed you this off. Uh, off our recording. Now I'll show it to you on it. That is John Tomasi's terrific column of August 20th, just a couple of days ago, it might be time for the Sox to show some literal fight. I love the reference, the historical perspective you brought up to July 24th, 2004. Uh, we were both, I I was at Fenway, you were at Fenway for that, right? Yep. Oh yeah. Couldn't oh yeah. I wanted, I assume that, but I didn't, sometimes don't want to assume things, John. Um, so you say that it might be time for the Sox to show some literal fight. What leads you to believe that if this team showed some literal fight, it might wake them up? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's grasping probably. It's a little bit desperate, but that's where they're at right now. They feel like a team that's right. sleepwalking. And Saturday's game against Texas was really sort of like the last straw when you consider five errors Christian Vasquez being lazy with a tag at the plate. Erod losing a ball off his foot. Ground ball to shortstop that rolls to the left field fence. It's like, what is happening with this team? They are sleepwalking right now. And so, you know, you go back to July of 04. We're talking about Arod. We're talking about Jason Veritek and the, you know, the mitt to the face heard around the world. That obviously woke up that Red Sox team, inspired that Red Sox team. I just feel like this one needs something to get its adrenaline flowing again. And 
you know, we saw this in Toronto a couple weeks ago, which was to me not the way to go about it. Hansel Robles, who was brand new, uh, hits Randall Gritchuk, then starts glaring into the Blue Jays dugout. Then they're yelling at him and he's yelling at them. You can see Red Sox players are not interested whatsoever in rushing to the aid of the new guy. And it's like, you can't show up to a new team and start a and nearly start a brawl. That's just, just idiotic, you know? But somebody who has been on this team and fighting with this team since day one, whether it's Nick Pavetta, I don't know who, it's like, if you need to drill somebody, if you need to clear the benches, like do something. I, I liken it to, if you're a Sopranos fan, like at the end of season one, when Tony is just sleepwalking through life and then someone takes a shot at him and blows up the orange juice in his hand and suddenly he's alive again. It's like, they need that. Spoiler right. alert, by the way. Sorry if you haven't seen the Sopranos. But uh, they need, to me, they need something. They need some external uh, you know, uh, force to wake them the bleep up, because right now it's not working. Alex Cora, what role does he have in trying to wake them the bleep up? Yeah, I mean, a lot. That's that's his thing. Like, he's a guy who we know from past experience here, and even back to when he was a player in the, you know, 2007, 2008 range, like, Cora was always the guy who had his finger on the pulse of what's going on in his clubhouse. And I mean, I don't doubt for a second that he's among the people disappointed by the lack of activity at the trade deadline. But, you know, one of the reasons you brought Alex Cora in here is because this is what he does. You know, he right. knows how to push buttons. He knows that Eduardo, Eduardo Rodriguez might need to be kicked in the butt, whereas Rafael Devers might need a hug. He's very good at sort of, you know, reading who needs what kind of motivation. Like now is the time for him to be pushing those buttons because of all the things we can say about an Alex core team, like sleepwalking isn't and should not be one of them. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. He's juggled the lineup. He's certainly, you know, demoted two guys out of the starting rotation. Uh, I wonder what other changes he can make. At some point, it's about the players. How frustrated was he after the game Saturday night? Oh, I mean, you heard it in his voice, embarrassed. I mean, that was the first time we really, like he, so as you know, little inside baseball here, Johnny Miller always asks the first question <laughs> yes. after games. Uh, usually losses. Johnny loves asking questions after losses. But, uh, you know, Cora makes it a point. that I mean, that doubleheader sweep in New York, like losing the finale in New York, just the season sort of going down the tubes. If Johnny is on the call and Cora comes on Zoom, the first thing he does is, what's up, Johnny? Like a very upbeat, what's up, Johnny? Right. Almost like heading off like the questions that he knows are coming. <laughs> and after this game, it was not like that. It was, he was pissed, as he should have been. Because there it's one thing to lose because you're not hitting, because you're swinging at bad pitches, because you're trying to do too much and all that stuff. It's another to lose the way they did on Saturday, where it looked like they were going through the motions. And so he showed that frustration. And I'll be fascinated to see over the next week how the team responds. Ownership. What role do you think they have above Heimbloom? Because it is out there that Heimbloom could only do so much and ownership charged him, right? I mean, it, a big part of the storyline for the first half of the season is how great Heimbloom, what, how great of a job he did, given the mm -hmm. fact that ownership and, you know, Sam Kennedy and, and the executive part of the franchise and the operation wanted him to try and win, but rebuild what 
it is assumed and presumed that Dave Dombrowski uh, tore down just to win in 2018 and have that one chance at immortality. And they got the job done, obviously, in 2018, the best season in franchise history with a World Series title. But uh, Bloom was charged with rebuilding it all up. Don't tear it down just for a one-year run. To me, what happened at the tra- or what didn't happen at the trade deadline has a lot to do with the charge of ownership towards Heimblum. Oh, no question. And, and and I think some of us, me included, underestimated the importance of staying below the luxury tax, which right. is such a red herring to me and is really infuriating if you're a Red Sox fan. And I don't believe, and I could be wrong, but I don't believe that Heim Bloom necessarily, if left to his own devices, would say, you know what, more important than acquiring talent, this trade deadline is staying below that CBT number. That, to me, comes from on high. And we, I mean, we know it. John Henry admitted it out loud and basically what were his last among his last public comments a year and a half ago, two years yep, ago now. I remember I was uh, there. He said. Yeah, when we were up in that suite uh, in Fenway, and he said that, you know, getting below the luxury tax was important. And at the time, that didn't offend me so much at the time, because I feel like the teams that just spend, 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 spend to solve their problems are uncreative, and it doesn't necessarily get them anywhere. There are exceptions. I mean, the Dodgers have spent, and they've spent well. The Padres, you're seeing a little bit of team that has spent like crazy, and it's not necessarily paying off your Reds making a charge uh, at them, obviously, Joey Votto on fire, but I digress. So anyway, like ownership's thing of getting below the tax. Initially, I kind of understood. I'm like, this team isn't that good. You shouldn't be spending. You need to be creative. So they brought in someone creative. At the trade deadline, I thought it was abhorrent and, you know, like malpractice almost at an ownership level to say, we will not spend beyond this threshold. Like, they were going to be a first-time offender. So even if they had spent $20 million beyond the threshold at the deadline, it would have been a $4 million bill. That would have been it. And yes, you've restarted your clock, and maybe that's a thing, but there's a new CBA that's going to be negotiated. Our old buddy Evan Drellick had a story in The Athletic last week about how owners have proposed a $100 million floor to be funded by a tax on teams that spend above $180 million it's like if the Reds, and for, that's a non-starter for the players because they know now that the tax level is a salary cap. And if that's what ownership was thinking, well, we need to get as close to that 180 number as they can. And they sort of punted on this season as a result of that. I just think that's gross. Yeah. And I just, I also think that one thing you're going to hear from ownership is sure, we'll, we'll spend above the luxury tax and we, we have to, we'll raise all the ticket prices. We'll raise all the fees associated with the ball club and then see how much uh, fans and uh, our corporate partners bitch. That's, that's what I think. That's why you don't hear anything from ownership on all of this, because they know once you go down that rabbit hole, that's essentially the conclusion most are going to draw. Yeah, but I think people ultimately, by and large, people want them to spend on the team. It's like, and if the team wins, you know what? You'll pay the higher prices. Like people, that's a tale as old as I time. Guess, so I don't really think John, that's like I, a motivator. I, I Yeah, but I, I wonder about that with a team that's won four times and a lot of people are re- con- rethinking their priorities in life. I, I just believe that. Do you and, think the Red Sox are worried about raising ticket prices? They never have. I don't think that's ever... I think that you know, see only I'm, when they lose, right? But I think there there is a fine line that they walk when talking about 
we can keep raising prices and ra raising fees associated with the ball club. Eventually, you know, I think a lot of these games are going to go on pay-per-view way, way down the road, but I think that's a, a possibility. And I think that there is a, not necessarily a fine line, but a tipping point where they lose a lot of the fans and then you start seeing ball, you know, even Fenway three quarters full instead of totally full. And I don't think they want yeah. that. Yeah, I get that. But it's like, if that's your concern, then don't raise ticket prices. You know, like it's not that, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar uh, property. Like they can afford to put ticket prices wherever they want. They are very much a what the market will bear kind of franchise. So to me, like that, that's sort of, that's looking at it the wrong way. I think from our perspective, if we say that they're worried about anything like that, I don't know. Uh, oh, all right. I'll buy that. Um, going forward, the Red Sox, the chances you give them of making the playoffs right now, I'd say it's no better than 50, 50 that they are even in the wild card game. Yeah. I'm, I'm maybe I'm slightly higher than that. And I, like I told you off the top, I might just be going down with the ship on this one. <laughs> um, I do feel like, their schedule down the stretch is a lot easier. You know, they have right now we're in the middle of Texas and Cleveland and Minnesota. Uh, they finish up with Washington, Baltimore. They got multiple series left with the Orioles who have completely given up. Yep. So, yeah, you still have Tampa. You still have Toronto. But I just feel like the schedule plays enough in their favor that they should have a better than 50-50 chance of getting there. I, I think the stretch – we're entering now where the Red Sox schedule is relatively easy. The Yankees are going out in the West Coast. Oakland's a good team. The Angels are a little tougher out there. Uh, they have Atlanta, who's one of the hottest teams in the National League. So this will this will be the moment. If Red Sox and Yankees are going to flip back, it's going to be, you know, in the next, like, couple weeks. All right. It has been great catching up with you again, John. I know you've got a busy week ahead. I know you've got to catch up with Alex Cora and ask him all the questions that Red Sox Nation needs to be asked of the manager who led them to a 2018 Worlds. By the way, I think Cora deserves a lot of credit for the way he runs the ball club. I, I, I really do. I think, you know, given what the team went through last year, uh, even in the pandemic season, uh, he's done a pretty tremendous job over his time here in Boston. Oh, it's a thousand percent. I mean, you just consider like the talent level on this team and what we all thought they would be 82 wins, maybe something right. like that. The fact that he's got them, you know, on pace to probably win 90, even in a bad year and be in the hunt for the playoffs. We shouldn't lose sight of how unexpected that was uh, coming into the year. All right. I want to thank everyone for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, John Tomasi of NBC Sports Boston, covering the Red Sox for NBC Sports Boston. Follow him, of course, on Twitter at jtomasi, all one word. Also want to thank our great sponsor, betonline.ag. For John Tomasi, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.